Are you ready for God's word? Amen. Amen. Yes, I love that. There's an excitement about God's word. It should be that way. So, so let me ask you, did you bring your Bible? If you brought your Bible, raise it up high and then put it down. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay, if you haven't brought your Bible yet, um, there's, still, there's still time for you to go to heaven. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not that. It's not that. But I do want you to, come on, how many of us know it's important to bring a real Bible? I can remember when we were, I keep bringing, getting and putting it down. I, I think I need a bigger table here so I can put everything on one table. But uh, I can remember being a kid and we had Bible drill. And so we had 10 seconds to find a verse in a particular book. Could you do that? If I gave you a verse, could you find it in 10 seconds? I see some of you are saying yes, others are going, and others are saying definitely not. You know who you are. Either way, I want you to start getting used to using your Bible. Get familiar with it. Get familiar with the Old Testament. Get familiar with the New Testament. Don't, uh, don't be embarrassed if, if I say a, 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 you know, a book and you go to the Old Testament and realize, oh shoot, it's in the New Testament. <laughs> I was in the wrong testament. I was in the wrong place. That's okay. This is where it starts. Amen? Get used to using it because um, this is our sword. This is our sword. This is what, what is special. There is life-changing power in this word. Amen? For far too long, the church has downplayed the word of God. Are you kidding me? The word of God is the most important thing that we do on Sunday morning, and that is discuss the Word of God, talk about it, study it. And so today I want to talk to you about abundant life, abundant living. It's a brand new sermon series, and it's going to deal with the subject matter of stewardship. Come on, someone say, hooray, stewardship. <laughs> you know, I already know what you're thinking. You're thinking, are you kidding me? You got me all excited, now you're going to talk about stewardship? Come on, how many of you would rather have a root canal than talk about stewardship? <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. It's not the most exciting topic, but can I tell you, it, it will open up abundant living in your life. And so before you dismiss it, I want you to just hang in, with, hang in there with me this entire, this entire message and understand one valuable, valuable thing. How you handle what God has given you right now will determine what you have in the future. Now I want you to think in your mind, are you satisfied with what you have? If you are, then great. But I would say some of you are saying, I could improve in this area. Or I'd like to have this. Or I'd like to expand and increase. Come on, how many of us know that God put the desire for increase in your heart? He did. But how you manage it and how you honor him with those desires will determine how abundant your life is going forward. And so I just want you to be excited about having an abundant life because after all, that's why Jesus came, that you might have an abundant life. He said, I've come that you might live life to the absolute fullest. And he gave us rules. He showed us how. He gave himself as an example of how to live at the next level. 
But I do also want to remind you something we talked about last week, that there's an enemy. He's waging war against you, and he's waging war against you as a steward because he already wrecked his stewardship. Think about it. He was put in charge in heaven, and God, what? Gave him certain responsibilities of which he rebelled against, and now he wants to make sure you join him in that rebellion and mess up your stewardship opportunities. So I want to ask you a question. Am I a good steward? That's the question I want you to ask. Now, I, some of you are looking at me like, I don't know, Pastor, if you're a good steward. No, 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 no. Are you a good steward? We all have to ask that question of ourselves. Are we good stewards? Well, Pastor, if, if you're going to have me answer the question, am I a good steward, then what is stewardship? Well, according to my Logos program, stewardship, and that's my Bible study program, stewardship is the process of being responsible with someone else's property while it is entrusted. So you are given trust over something, and you have a responsibility to manage it. Simply put, is managing what belongs to someone else. That's stewardship. Managing what belongs to someone else. Are you good at it? Before you answer that question, let's consider what the Word of God says about this subject. And let's talk about uh, stewardship from this aspect. Psalms 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. What is, what is God highlighting? What is he saying there? Come on, anyone. Yeah, he's saying, hey, it belongs to me. Okay, okay, Lord, I get that. The world belongs to you. That, that's easy. How about Deuteronomy 10, 14? Indeed, heavens, oh, excuse me, indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belongs to the Lord your God. Also the earth with all that is in it. Ooh, Deuteronomy just took it up a level, didn't it? It said not only the earth and not only all that is in the earth and, and on the earth, but we're talking about the heaven and the heaven and the heaven. In fact, all the heavens. You go, what, what is he talking about there? There's a spiritual dimension, that's his. There's a physical dimension, that's his. In fact, all the dimensions are his. The universe is his. The galaxies, the solar systems, the stars, the planets, it's all. Let's make sure. Because God always confirms his word with two or three witnesses. Let's see if there's any more passages. I want to share, share with you a passage out of the New Testament. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Wow. How about Job 41? Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? I love this verse because God is saying, um, if anyone lend me money, would you please stand up? Isn't that cool? God is saying, if anyone can say, hey, Lord, you owe me, you didn't pay me back, you still, you still got a debt out there with my name on it, 
God is saying, who, who do I owe? I don't owe any, anything to anyone. Why? Because everything under heaven is mine. Everything under heaven is mine. Okay, so, so, so point number one. If God owns everything, then... If God owns everything, then... If God owns everything, then I own nothing. Come on, turn to your loved one and say, we own nothing. Can I ask you a question? Why did I start here? Because this is where Adam and Eve got confused and we still are tempted to confuse this. Do you realize this is just, this is just a small sampling of verses that are found throughout Scripture indicating that everything is the Lord's? Come on, how many of you have heard, all the cattle on a thousand hills are mine? That's scripture. How about this one? How about the one that says, if I were hungry, I would not ask you. What is God saying there? You couldn't feed me. If I was hungry, I'd go to my pantry. I'd go to my crops. I'd go to my ranch. I'd go to my cattle. I'd... I'd isn't that interesting? See, over and over, God says this. But why, did it, why is it so important that we start there? Because if we confuse the fact that somehow it's ours, then we, we don't want to hear from God, or we don't think that God has a right to tell us anything because it's ours. Come on, how many of you remember having the talk with mom and dad as a teenager and it went something like this? Hey, son, daughter, you are in my house. And as long as you're in my house, you're going to do what? Oh, you've had it too. Come on, how many of you, when you were there, you said, I'll never talk to my kids like that. I will never say those tired old things you said. If someone goes, jumps off a bridge, you know the saying, you know, I'll never do it. And you know what's so funny? I didn't even hesitate when I did it. I promised I'll never do it. And then it came time, I did it perfect. Like I had rehearsed it. Because I can still remember being a, a, a young man and we were in my mama's house and we were playing ball. Why is it that young men like to play ball in the house? Why is it they like to wrestle in the house? Why is it they like to, you know, I don't know, but we broke something. Come on. Dad comes in and we all start pointing the finger. He said, sit down. Yes, sir. We sat down and he began to say, this is my house. And in my house, my rules go. And as long as you're in, then you better. And then he said, and if not, you can hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, he said, you can hit the road. You can join the army. You can do whatever you want to do. You know what's so funny? Because we were on vacation and, and, a, and a couple was talking about this and one of the nephews decided he was going to leave and he took all his stuff and he, he loaded it up and all kinds of stuff. And the, young, the, the, the gentleman who was telling his wife this says, oh, that would never happen. 
That should have never happened. Because when I was a kid, I told my mom, I was, he, was, he was from Georgia, I remember that. I think he was from Savannah or something. And, and they said, I told my mama that, that, um, that I was leaving. And my mama said, okay. And her and my daddy had me stripped down to my boxers. <laughs> and then they, they walked me to the front door and they threw a pillow at me. And they said, Main Street's that way. And he started walking down the street, hiding behind that pillow, and he turned around and came back, knocked on the door, said, I'm ready to follow the rules. Come on, how many of you know God has some rules in his house? You may not like it, but if you're going to live the abundant life, come on, if you're going to live the abundant life, some of you aren't living the abundant life, and can I just share with you, it's because of your rebellious attitude. Because you want to be in God's house doing what you want instead of understanding it all belongs to him. Lord, how can I bring you glory? How can I be a good son, a good daughter? How can I live for your glory? And it's okay. It's okay to miss that fact. It means you're human, but it's not okay to live your entire life missing it. At some point, you've got to realize God is not ordinary, and I get why we miss it, because the world has made God so common and ordinary, and he's been our buddy, the man upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. He's not your buddy. He is the king of all glory. We can't fathom how awesome he is, and when we get that, no, when I got that, it was easy to understand, of course I've got to bring him glory. He's great and awesome. He's not just some dude. He's everything. He's awesome and majestic and wonderful and great. And so my question is, if God owns everything and I own nothing, then how should we define stewardship? I like the way the Holman Bible defines stewardship, and it says this. It says, responsibility to manage all the resources of life for the glory of God, acknowledging God is the provider. Amen. Isn't that true? Amen. Then point number two, what makes a good steward? And my wife said, in first service, you sounded angry. Please don't think I'm angry. I'm, just, I, I'm not. I want to tell you how much I love you and how much God loves you. And I know this is a tough subject. And I know that, that I, I get it. Some of us would rather have a root canal than hear about stewardship. But we also want the abundant life. And, and so I want to ask you, what makes a good steward? And I want, to make you, I want to make you aware of something that maybe you weren't aware of. And that is, uh, I'm going to take an article from Preaching Today. And in this article, it's the, it says, statistic, Jesus is teaching on money. And watch what it says. It says, Jesus talked much about money. 16 out of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. Did you know that? That's a lot. How about this? In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, that's 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of what? Money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Hello. How many of us knew that? 
Now, I want to be fair because when you read something like this, and sometimes pastors bring these statistics out, and it seems like all Jesus was concerned about was money, and any fair person reading the Gospels would not get that impression. It's like, wait, pastor, I've never seen that when I read the Bible. When I read the Bible, I see that Jesus was concerned about eternal life. Yes, he was. But isn't it interesting how he used money to teach these eternal principles? He used our possessions. Why? Because you live not in heaven, on earth. And how you live determines what you have in here. Too many people today think it's all about what I say, not what I do. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Your words and your thoughts and your actions should match. And how do they match? By the way you live in the very material world I've put you in. Think about it. Think about it. So yes, I'm being fair. They weren't all about money. They had much deeper teachings. But is it, isn't it interesting that he stopped off that neighborhood as well before he went to the deeper one? And so I want to talk to you about probably one of the most important passages that he gave. It's actually a parable that he told about money. And I want to take you to Matthew 25. And I want to ask you, what is significant about Matthew 25? If you, if you didn't realize it, it's after Matthew 24. <laughs> I'm not trying to be silly. This is important. <laughs> The reason I say it's after Matthew 24, because many of us are familiar with Matthew 24. And Matthew 24 is the end times chapter. End times meaning that his disciples came to him and said, Lord, tell us about the end of the age and when you will return. And he sat down with them and began to teach them. We know this as the Olivet Discourse, where he told them about the end. Now listen, in Matthew 24, he says... Make sure you're not deceived. There will be famine. There will be wars. There will be uh, pestilence. There will be earthquakes and natural disasters. There's going to be all of these things. And he begins to list a number of things. And he's going back and forth. And people's hearts will grow cold. And they'll betray one another. And he's saying all of these things, right? But then in Matthew 25, it's still part of the same discourse. But we don't always connect it because he launches into some stories, as was his custom. Come on, how many of you know Jesus was an amazing storyteller? And he told these stories for a purpose. He told these stories to highlight the end. And what is important about the end is that he will actually return. And when he returns, he's going to settle accounts. Let's read. Come on. Watch this. For the kingdom of heaven is like... Uh-oh. Do you realize that he... Uh, uh, we're not going to go very far. We're going like, to stop quite a bit. But do you realize that Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like 11 times? And this is the last time he said it. What do you think he, he means when he says the kingdom of heaven is like? There's a kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of this world. Jesus said himself, the prince of this world is who? Satan. I don't understand how people cannot believe. All they have to do is open their eyes and see the demonic work of the music industry. 
and how people sell their souls and he collects. And there's the curse of what, 28 or 27 or something like that? Most of these, what is it, 27? Most of these artists die tragically at 27. This isn't something the church speaks about. This is something the world speaks about. Jesus himself said this world is under the sway or the direction of the enemy. That's why he said, do not love the world or the things of the world. For it is passing away. And those that love it will pass away with it. But instead, what? Be about my Father's kingdom. And he came to what? Show us the way the kingdom was. And when you find the beauty of the kingdom, you should go all in. Okay, but that's something else. Let's go back. So he says, such is the kingdom of my Father or of heaven. And so a man was traveling to a far country who called his own servants... And delivered his goods to them. And to the one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to yet another he gave one. To each according to his own ability. Now this is interesting because many people have taken this and they have changed the meaning a little bit. And they've said, this is not about money, this is about abilities. Well, he, they already have abilities. So this isn't about abilities, this is about money. But to each of everyone's own ability, he will give according to what you deserve. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is indicating right here he is not a socialist? Come on, someone say amen on that. So, some of my, uh, my more conservative folks, I just gave you an alley-oop and you missed it. I passed it up there and you're just like, mm. no, he's not a socialist. Why? Because he's saying, look, there's different abilities and not everyone should have the same. Do you know when you give everyone the same, you kill incentive and innovation? But that's another message. Either way, what this is important because he's saying, look, some of you have more abilities, you're going to be held to higher standard. Some of you are saying, well, I don't have any abilities. I got such a little thing. The good thing is it's easier for you to gain more. Let me ask you a very important question. Is it easier to double something that's large or double something that's small in a financial sense? Everyone knows that once a company gets to a certain market cap, it cannot double at the same rate it did when it first started. Apple, when Apple first started, it was doubling like crazy. Now for Apple to double, it will take an amazing amount of, of, of energy and growth. It's over a trillion dollars in market cap. It's one of the biggest companies in the world, if not the biggest, it kind of goes back and forth. So what am I saying? I'm saying, don't despise the day of small beginnings. That's what the Bible says. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. If you're here today and you're saying, I'm just a small fry, then double that fry and make it something great for the honor and glory of God. Amen? <laughs> double that. Now watch. Watch. So according to their own abilities, and immediately he went out and left on a journey. Then he, who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and he made five more. Let's keep going. Verse 17. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his Lord's... Come on, say it with me. Come on, say it with me. In case you were wondering, what is this about? Is that all it's about? 
No, but let's not forget it's about. It's not all it's about. It's got a, a way deeper meaning. You'll see. But let's not miss the most, the most obvious one right in front of our face. So it's about money. Now watch. He says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. Come on, how many of you are a little nervous right now? I'm going to be honest with you. I read this and it checks my spirit. It's supposed to. Now, I'm going to read some things that are, that are fairly alarming. And the reason I have to give a disclaimer is because the American church, that's us, we're not used to reading God's word um, the way they used to read it. Why? Because we have way too many preachers that only pick and choose. It's kind of like when I was a kid and I tried to pick my own meal at Luby's Cafeteria. Come on, when you were a kid at Luby's Cafeteria, what would you go for? Oh, yeah, you'd go straight for the liver and onions, right? No. You'd be like, I want some Jello, some pecan pie. I mean, you'd get all the good. And that's how, and that's how the preachers are preaching today. But let's just read all the parables. We're going to read the entire parable. Amen? So watch what he says. He says, he will come back after a long time. Come on, has Jesus been gone a while? He's been gone a while. He's been gone a minute. So it's been a long time, but he will come back and settle accounts. So he who had received five talents came and brought five more other talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside the ones you gave me. Then the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. And now I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Come on, how many of you would love to hear that when Jesus returns? No, it's okay. Raise your hand if you would love to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. For those of you who didn't, do you want to hear, you wicked servant? I mean, I don't know what you want to hear. <laughs> you know, like, you fool? I don't know, because he says that too. Watch. Let, let's keep reading. He says, so also, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. Uh, besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came to the Lord said, Lord, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Now, I want you to ask yourself a very important question. This last servant, did he steal? No. Did he do anything dishonest? then I want you to, to pay very close attention to why the Lord rebukes him. Because he's about to be rebuked. Are you with me? Verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited whose money? 
Whose money? You should have deposited my money with the... Oh, there is no doubt Jesus is talking about money. And you could have gained interest. That at my coming, I would have received my money back plus... Come on. Interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, because why does he not have? Because he's been, he's been unfaithful. Even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into what? The outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh my goodness. Some of you are saying, I came on the wrong Sunday. What is this pastor doing? Can we just admit that we'd rather know instead of being surprised? How many of you would not want us to be standing before Jesus? Jesus is saying, all right, let's see how you did. What? 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 My pastor never said nothing about that. I thought, this is the part where you're supposed to say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you realize that... I'll say that later, because this is, some of you are getting really nervous. That's, that's, that's good. Because as the great theologian Ice Cube once said, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Meaning you got to like, to put, it, to put it the way the New Testament says it, you got to examine your heart and make sure that you're walking in the faith, walking in real faith. The Bible makes a big deal about there is a way that we think, but it's not always the way God thinks. And this is why God's Word is so important. Because God's Word reorients and gives us what we should consider important. You say, but what is so important about being a steward? What God is saying is there's two kingdoms here, and you're going to serve one or the other. And when you serve yourself, by default, you serve the other kingdom. But when you're faithful and you consider me and my heart, then you serve me. What is God's heart in his kingdom? To be rich? It all belongs to him anyway. What is the deeper meaning behind this? He's saying, I want to reach lost people. I want to help the downtrodden the downtrodden. I want to help those that need help. And when everybody's being selfish, it's a horrible place to live. I want to bring a little bit of heaven down and I'm using you to help me. So you got to quit just thinking about yourself. And you have to realize that you have a king that you are working for. Amen? Amen? You have a king you're working for. And this is how I'm going to measure. And so there's a very important ver- a word that's used there. It's actually the word oikoinomia. Oikoinomia is made up of two separate Greek words. I'm going to put them on the screen. It's oikos and nomos. And oikos means home, household, or house, powerful family, or a destiny, oh, excuse me, a dynasty, a dynasty. 
So what is God saying? God's saying, you are called to be a servant of my house, my home, what's important to me, and my kingdom that goes from generation to generation. Now, nomos literally means custom, rule, or law. When you put those together, it means the law of managing God's kingdom business. That's what we're called to do. We're called to see God's kingdom expand. And some of us just thought that was the pastor's job. No, it's all of our job, amen? It's all of our job to be generous. It's, and you know what I've found? That Christians love to be generous. You know what's so interesting? Liberals are always talking about generosity, and they look down at Christians sometimes because they, they assume that we're all conservative. You realize to be Christian doesn't mean to be conservative. It means to be kingdom-minded. It means to be kingdom-minded. That means I'm very liberal. We should be very liberal when it comes to giving. We should give liberally. The Bible says that God gives liberally. He pours it on. He doesn't hold back. His house is not a house of scarcity. I grew up in a house of scarcity. I've told some of you this. For longest, I didn't know that Snickers had peanuts. My grandma would cut into so many pieces, and I'd get such a small piece, there was never any peanuts. And I always thought in that kind of household, you had to fight for what in God's saying, not in my house. In my house, there's plenty to go around. Freely you have received. Now freely, come on, freely you have received. Now freely. And this is what God is getting at. God is getting at, you're a, you're a do you know this is, this is found in, in the first book of the Bible? I want to take you to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, and the Lord God took the man right up here, and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it or to tend it and to be an okonomias, to be a servant for him. In the Hebrew, the word is shamar. Shamar is the equal of the Greek word okonomias. What do you hear, for those of you who are Spanish speakers, when I say the Greek word okois, Nomas, economias, what do you hear? Economia, which is economies. This is where we get the transliteration from the English word economy, to be a steward. To be a steward. And so Adam was placed in the garden to be a steward for God. And the enemy had already blown his stewardship in heaven. So he comes to Adam and says, do you really want to be a steward of God's? You don't have to be a manager. You can own this. God's lying to you and holding back from you. Do you realize he's still peddling the same lie today? And some people are buying it over and over and over, saying, this is mine. It's not God's. But what does the Bible say? It all belongs to God. All of it. And you will give an account. And so if you want an abundant life, you need to realize the economy of the kingdom of God. Uh-oh, hello. The economy of the kingdom of God. So Adam blew it, and the enemy tries to get us to blow it. So how many of you have ever experienced a bad renter? So the other day, we were watching Airbnb, uh, like, nightmares. 
That's kind of the stuff we watch because there's so much trash on TV, is there not? There's a lot of garbage. So we were watching like Airbnb nightmares and one poor couple, little beautiful little couple put their house up for Airbnb just to make a little extra money so that she could stay home. They got a horrible renter and he came in and had a party that cost them $60,000 in damage. Oh, you should have seen it. It made me sick to my stomach. They defiled everything. Who could do that? Who could do that? And it reminds me, my, my brother and I have a small little rent house in Rockwell, Texas. He asked me to go in on with him, and, and, and we have this little rent house. And we um, had a little setback because <laughs> he said, hey, do you want to rent to a single mom? She could really use the help. I said, man, let's do it. I'm all about God's business. Let's do it. She moved out after a year. And there was over $6,000 worth of damage. Kind of all the profit was gone. And I remember what he said when he got it done. He calls me back. He says, never again. And I said, now hold on. Why did we do it? Not what we had planned, but it's what we felt God wanted us to do. Let's trust God for it. Let's not let our heart get hard. Let's keep being open to his, to his prompting. And this reminds me of when I was in, um, I was in Pagosa uh, two years ago. How many of you still like McDonald's uh, breakfast, no matter what your kids say? You know? <laughs> There's a lot of people like, no, McDonald's is horrible, this and that. I like the McDonald's breakfast. I was like, I, I go by, I was eating some McDonald's breakfast, there, and, and it started snowing. Like, it was coming down hard. And there's a man, older man. He was out there in the snow holding up a sign for money. And I, I asked the Lord, Lord, what do you think? And I felt the Lord say, take one of your $100 bills that you keep in your back pocket or in your wallet and give it to him. And so I remember um, I got this from, from Pastor Robert Morris. He keeps this and he does the same practice. So I thought, man, this is my chance to bless him. So I, I gave him the money and we drove off. I felt amazing. Come on, how many of you feel amazing when the Lord uses you? Well, the next year... I'm by McDonald's again, and it's starting to come down. I mean, it's worse than the year before. And the same man is there with the sign. It's like he comes down. He knows the tourists are out. When it starts snowing, come out. And, and I said, you little rat. You got me the first time. And I, How many of you know bitterness sets up shop quick? And it starts growing roots. And I started getting bitter in my heart. And I could hear the Lord say, whoa, wait a minute. You helped him because I said, yeah, but look at him and what is, and I started judging. And he says, that's not what I asked. I asked you, why did you help him? Because I said, or because you want? Well, because you said, Lord, then let me handle him and you take care of your heart. Come on. Some of us are too busy judging everybody else's stewardship instead of just taking care of your stewardship. Do you hear me? Yes, I know it's hard, but the most important thing we're called to do is keep our heart right, because if we keep our heart right, everything else follows, because the Bible is very clear on this. From the heart, your life proceeds. From your heart, we talked about this last week, some, so we're called to be content. We're called to trust God and not our riches. We're called to be generous and to have faith over fear. And I understand, I believe this with all my heart, that Christians are born generous. I'm not talking about born as a, 
as an infant. No, as an infant, we're born with a fallen nature. Come on, do you have to teach a a two-year-old how to be selfish? How many of you said, this is how you do it? You yell, mine. And you rip from the other kids, and then you smack them with it. You know, rip, smack. Mine, stiff arm Heisman, right? Do you have to teach a kid how to do that? No, they're born with it. You know what else you're born with when you're reborn in Jesus? With his generous heart who gave himself that you might have life. I've never met a new Christian that doesn't want to give and give generously. I can remember my son, Honey, when when he really got, got filled with this generous spirit on a mission trip. He wanted to give his toys away. He wanted to give his shirt away. He wanted to give everything away. And I truly believe we want to do this But you know what the enemy does? He comes and he says, I can't steal his his salvation, but I can steal his abundant life. I can destroy that by getting him into debt, by having him be a bad manager, by having her get in over her head, by enticing her with worldly things that they will what? Become enslaved to by maxing out credit cards, by buying a house way beyond their means, by wanting to keep up with the Joneses, wanting to buy things you don't need, right? To impress people you don't know and don't care about. And so if he can get you to get enslaved, then you won't be able to be generous. This is why stewardship is so important. Now this is where we finish. How serious is Jesus about stewardship? Well, he gives another parable. Parable is a story. He says, take heed and beware of covetousness. Beware not to be content and generous. Covetousness is wanting more for yourself. And watch what he says. There was a man. He was a rich man. His crops yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Since I have no more room to store my crops, I think I'll do this. I will pull down my barns. Notice the pronoun. I will pull down my barns and build greater ones. There I will store my crops and what? Come on now. My crops, my barns, my goods. Watch the next verse. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods and you have them for years because you've stored them up. Take your ease, drink and be merry. And God says, you fool, you fool. Tonight, Your soul is required in heaven, and you're going to give account. Oh, pastor, are you trying to scare me? I'm not trying to scare me. I'm just trying to read to you the word of God, because the truth of the matter is this abundant life is for so much more than just me, myself, and I. Now, verse 21, so he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, is a fool. Be rich towards God. What he values, amen? 
so that you might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, this is important. We all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, don't we? But do you realize this is the only time in all of Scripture that it's used in that parable about money? Now, it's so much more than money. I get that. But it was only used then. Now, let me ask you a very important question. I know I'm keeping you longer, but this is too important. Why do you suppose if Jesus was going to teach a parable to talk about the riches of the kingdom and abundant life, that he would use money to start from? Think about it. I thought about it all week. And this is what I came to. I came to the idea that men, humans, we can grab the concept, and we often do, because he's talking about money, but we, we translate it like he's talking about abilities, talents, gifts. And we say, oh no, he's talking about time, he's talking about all these other things, and we, we don't like to deal with the fact that he's talking about money. Why? Because Jesus told us that money competes for your heart. And so we want to stay away from that. And so Jesus said this, I'm going to hit them right where I want their heart. And so I'm going to make it about money because they'll get these other topics. They'll get those very, very easily. But if I don't say money, that's the last one they'll ever think about. And for years they'll be saying, oh, he, did, he didn't mean money because he didn't say money. So he says, let me start at the least common denominator. Let me start where their heart is. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also, the Bible says. And so this is where we finish, Luke 16, 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? You may be here today and you may be saying, Pastor, I really want abundant life. I want God to give me more in terms of finances. If you're here today, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can just in your heart say, I'd love to be trusted with more finances. I'd like to have more influence. I'd like to have a bigger position at my job. I'd like my children to go deeper in the things of God, whatever it is. I want my marriage to go to the next level. I want this, I want that. Whatever it is that you want, increase is good. Remember, the only one that was judged in that parable of increase was the one that didn't increase. But watch what the Bible says. It really does start with the economy of your life. How are you handling the economy of your life? The stewardship of your life. If you handle it well, he'll give you more. If you don't handle it well, he'll keep taking off the table till you can get to a point where you can handle it. There's someone here I'm talking to. And the last question is, how are you doing? How are you doing? You don't have to answer before me. You have to answer between you and God. You're not at the point where we have to give account yet. This is the time to make adjustments. Amen? This is the time to say, okay, Lord, it's time for me to get with it. It's time for me to make some adjustments. 
Oh, I'm ready to take the little bit you've given me. I feel like some things have been taken off my table, and I've been going backwards. It's time for me to really take this time and multiply. Multiply what I've been given for your honor and for your glory. Is there anyone here that's ready, getting excited, saying, I'm, I'm ready? I'm ready. So as you grab your communion cup, I want to talk to the person that says, no, God has increased me a lot. Your biggest temptation is not saying, look what I have. I will take my resources and my money and my house and my business and my influence and, my, and I will do what I think Say, no, Lord, thank you. What is it that you have for your kingdom? What's on your heart, my king? What's on your heart, my king? Oh, I want to I serve your heart. I am so excited about this sermon series. I truly believe this is, God is going to bless this church. I can't open this. Can anybody help me? <laughs> Thank you, baby. God is going to bless this house. Is anyone excited saying, yeah, I can feel it? I can feel it. There's, there's. So if you're here today, I'm going to share so many testimonies over these next couple weeks. You don't want to miss. And we're just going to brag on how God's economy works. Amen. So, Lord, thank you for your gift of grace. Though we don't deserve it, we say thank you. We know it was your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. Until you return, Lord, may we be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.